Good morning. Good morning, Journey Church. Uh, it's good to see everybody here joining with us today. And if you're joining us online, it's great to have you as well. Uh, which just want to thank you for taking some time out to be with us today. Uh, we are in a series that began a couple weeks ago entitled Released, and it's going to be moving us toward the next 18 months to two years of our financial future. But it's also talking specifically about several areas in our life that we need to be and find release from to move to something better. And so we've been talking about some of those issues. But today, I want to ask you a question before we jump in, and that is that when it comes to being involved, are you a spectator or a participant? A spectator or a participant? How many of you would say, when, it, when something's going on, I want to be in the middle of it. I want to be a, I want to be a, a participant. Oh, Wow. How do things happen with that few people who really want to be in the middle? I'm going to assume that the rest of you want to be spectators, all right? Maybe that's where we are on this. Maybe my question didn't come out very well. But I want to tell you, I tend personally to be a spectator. Uh, I'm, I know it's hard to believe with the physique like this, uh, but I was never a great athlete. Never had that uh, in my past. I mean, I played some church softball and church basketball, but never any school sports. And uh, I was kind of an introverted heart and really didn't want to draw a lot of attention to myself, so I didn't really want to be out there on the court. Plus, I wasn't very good anyway, so it made it a lot easier just to be a spectator on the side, right? But uh, I want to tell you something, and uh, I've never shared this in 40 years of ministry and telling all the stories of my life and my kids and everything I've ever done. I've never shared this story before. Not that it's special, but it's kind of personal. Uh, my most embarrassing moment in high school. Here's what it was. So I was not a, an athlete, so I wasn't on the court doing anything spectacular. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a senior, I believe, I was on the yearbook committee. Now you're going, well, that doesn't sound like you either, Randy, honestly. I, you know, I'm not that artsy kind of guy, but it had something to do with a girl. Let's just go there. Uh, so I uh, thought it was a good idea at the time. Anyway, one day on this yearbook committee, we were promoting the yearbook, and, and it was at a pep rally, and we were trying to convince people to buy a, year, a yearbook, right? So we were doing a skit. We were all kind of, the committee was doing this skit where one of the members was telling the people about the yearbook. Another member come running from the sidelines with a bucket of water and dumped it on the person right in the middle of the, of the assembly. Well, you can imagine high schoolers thought that was great, you know? Um, so it was my job to follow up by running out from the other side with another bucket that they would think was water, right? It was filled with confetti, paper confetti, but I, I was going to pretend it was water to throw on the crowd. Now, I have no idea why we thought this might convince people to buy a yearbook, but at the time, it seemed like a great idea, all right? So I come running out following the bucket and the water and everything and our, our drenched member. I come running out, and I'm prepared to throw the confetti, but I slip on the water <laughs> that had just been thrown, and I mean, I'm flat on my back in the middle of the floor my most embarrassing moment. That's why I was always a spectator, you know? Because it's easy to be a spectator, right? But here's the problem. We've all become like a society of spectators now. I mean, we really have. We would prefer to watch than really be in the middle of things. It's easier to watch reruns of Friends than it is to go out there and make the effort to be a friend for, for someone in real life. It's a lot easier to watch people lose weight on The Biggest Loser than it is to set down our bowl of ice cream and get to do a little exercise and lose some weight ourselves, right? It's easier to do that. It's certainly easier to watch people paint a room 
or maybe clean out their closets on TV than it is to actually do those things ourselves, right? It's easier to watch a TV nanny correct somebody else's child and see how they do it than it is for us to get up and discipline our own kids. Now, what you've just heard probably is the fact that there are networks dedicated to letting people be spectators and not necessarily participants. Now, the goal may be to inspire them to get up and do some of these things, but in reality, it's easier to watch than it is to do. And in fact, most people settle for much less in life than they have to because they're just too lazy to work for what they really want. And that's the bottom line, right? I mean, life, happiness, prosperity, success, all those things take effort. We know that. I like what Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt uh, wrote in uh, a little article called Man in the Arena. He said, it is not the, uh, the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those who cold, who's told, those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I guess what he's trying to say is, let's admire the people who at least try. The people who are out there putting forth some effort, who are in the middle of things, unlike the spectator, who can always have a better way to do it. You know, I asked if you were a participant or a spectator, and uh, maybe my question didn't come out that great, but I, but I hope that you want to be a part of things and not the person who sits back on the sidelines and is critical of everybody else's trying to do at least something, right? That's where we need to be in the middle of things. In the same way, the Christian life is not a spectator sport. It really isn't. Living the Christian life is not about showing interest in Jesus. It's not about claiming to be a fan of Jesus like some people do. It's about their local sports team. And equally, it's not about just showing up. It's not about just sitting comfortably and watching a, watching a performance. And it's not about getting fire insurance because you don't want to go to hell. You know, some people view the Christian life as that. The Christian life really is, is about getting off the bench and fully participating in the game and engaging in ministry. And that's a call to every follower of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a couple of really great analogies in the Bible, I think, that illustrates this very fact. And the first one's in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Paul says, you are, excuse me, Peter says, you are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What he's saying to every one of us is that you are a priest. You are a priest, not like the Pope or not like someone with a clerical collar, or even a pastor necessarily. You know, we tend to think that, that only a church official has access to God. We tend to think that there are certain people, like ministers, like myself, and, you know, you got the calling, that's what you're supposed to do. We want you to go out there and do it for us. We'll applaud, you know, we'll support you, and we'll be engaged and everything. But that's not really what we're called to do. In fact, that was one of the erroneous doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church that led to all sort of abuses. The Bible teaches that, 
and the restoration movement reinforces or emphasizes the priesthood of all believers. And that's what Peter's referring to here. You are a holy priesthood. You are a priest, every one of you. Every one of us have personal access to God. We don't have to go through another individual to get there. And like the priests that serve in the Old Testament, every one of us is called to serve God. You know, we're called to be on the front lines of both worship and service. In other words, our worship time is not just really service. We might call it a service we come to, but really we come to, in many cases, watch and not be so engaged. But service is where we're called to step up and participate and be involved. It was never God's intention that some people serve and other people's watch. Never, ever. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, he shattered that Old Testament priest and sacrifice method. And all of that um, system that was set up, he did away with that. He was both the priest and the sacrifice himself. And he opened up the way for us to become the same. Now we are a priest. We are a sacrifice. And we are to bring others to him as well. So the church is a spirit-filled priesthood, holy and set apart for God's service. The second example that I, that I, uh, analogy that I referred to is along the same line in that, that we are to be living sacrifices. We are living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, like Jesus, we are called to sacrifice ourselves to God for his purpose and for his service. You know, in that day, the sacrifice was a central part of their worship. It was what they brought to God. It would be an animal or a bird if they were poor in some cases. Sometimes it might be a, a, a grain offering or something. They would bring it and give it to God, put it on the altar. It would be burned up, consumed, and, and given to God in that way. Today, we don't do that. We don't have animal sacrifices. And, and while the animal would have to die and his blood would be offered and his body would be burned, we don't have to die. That's the great thing. We don't have to give ourselves our lives and kill ourselves uh, for God, but we are to be a living sacrifice. See, a dead sacrifice is not a lot of good after it's given, right? But a living sacrifice has potential. It's, it's, a, it's a part. It continues to give. Now, I know you've heard me say this before, but the problem with the living sacrifice is it just keeps crawling off the altar. We can put it on, and then it gets off again, right? We give ourselves, and then we back off. We, we commit, and then we get distracted by something else. We can be very sincere, but then we lose focus, and we wander off. Jesus is our example. When he gave himself as a sacrifice, he did not just do it as an observer. He did it as a participant. He was in the middle of all of it. He was fully participating, and he caused us to do the same thing as well, except we don't have to die like he did. We actually are called to live for him. Instead of giving our life, dying, laying it down, we're to give our life in service to him. Now, obviously, before we commit to be engaged in something that we are going to commit to and participate, we want to know what it's all about, right? We want to know what it's about. Now, I'm not a huge sports fan. I'm really not. But I know that sports are a really important part of many people's lives. I know that 
a lot of people literally kind of live and die on their sports team. They'll fight you, you know, for that. And, and hopefully you're not that far gone, but, but maybe you're a real loyal fan. Uh, I know there are some fans that are kind of only fans when the team's winning. And I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people, you know. I mean, I'm all on board when things are going well, and then I'm kind of distracted and I'm kind of ambivalent other times. Uh, there are other diehard fans, you know, even when the team's losing, they're, they're all about it. But I know that a lot of diehard fans, they've spent considerable time, uh, a lot of time, a lot of money, uh, a lot of, you know, they have the clothing and everything else to follow their team. And, and they have reasons why they're fans. You know, there's some things like geography, obviously being close to Lexington, nostalgia, social connections, you know, all those sort of things kind of make it easier to be a fan of someone. But they believe in their team and they make great sacrifices for their team. You know, I have a friend that has season tickets uh, to, to Kentucky football, and he said that there was uh, always near their seat, there was an older couple. They would sit over there, and it was a man and a woman, and they just loved football, and they loved each other. It was fun to watch them every time they would just kind of observe this couple, and uh, <coughs> that they loved the game, and they never missed a home game. I said one Saturday afternoon, though, only the woman was there, and she was uh, sitting in her seat, but the other seat was empty. And uh, they noticed they thought the man might have gone to get something to drink or something, but he never showed up through the whole game. And uh, she was cheering as usual, but she was all alone. And uh, they, they asked her if her husband was sick. And she said, no, no, unfortunately, he died this week. And they thought, well, that's really horrible that she would have to come to the game by herself. They said, well, isn't there somebody who could come with you? And she said, no, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> All right. Now, that's, that's a fan right there. You know, that's, in fact, that's a little more than a fan. That's not true, by the way. Um, but we ought to have that kind of commitment, shouldn't we, you know? We ought to have that kind of commitment to something that we're, that we're all in for. We ought to have that. True followers of Jesus are all in. I mean, I would hope that we would have that kind of commitment, you know? And we would have reasons that are very personal to us, that we are followers of Jesus. We're not just fans. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, it's kind of interesting. He, he called spectators. He called people who, who he didn't even know at first, but he called them to come and, and, and be a part of his team. And, and we've shared this before, but I think it's really interesting. And, and, and the reason why I share it today is because I want you to see the increasing closeness that we come to Jesus and where we start, we start as spectators, every one of us. He invited his disciples, first of all, to come and see. Hey, just come and see what I'm doing. You know, watch the team play or watch him preach or teach, right? And they were spectators. Observe, watch, investigate his claims. That's honest and fair, right? Then he invited them to follow me. Follow me meant they were going to have to sacrifice small things to travel around with him. And they invited them, thirdly, to become fishers of men. He invited them actually to be a part of things, to actually share in the work. And finally, he invited them to bear much fruit. You've probably heard this, but I ask you, where are you on that chain of commitment? Are you just seeking him? Are you just kind of checking him out, coming and seeing? Or have you, have you followed him? Have you decided to give your life to Christ? Or are you on the team? Are you bearing fruit yet? And I want to encourage you to think about that Jesus calls every one of us to move along in a similar journey. You know, here at Journey Church, our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And, and we call the path that parallels to this 
Begin, which is when we kind of check him out. Believe, when we cross the line of faith. Uh, belong, which means connecting to him. And then becoming what God has meant us to be, which means that we are bearers of much fruit. So Jesus moved his disciples from being casual observers and spectators to committed participants actually owning the mission. And whenever he left, he literally gave them the mission. And let me just say that we can't be spectators for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that the mission has been handed to us by Jesus and by past generations. And we'll need to hand the mission on to other people. It's not, it has to be passed down. But anyway, if we fast forward past Jesus' um, death, burial, and resurrection in Acts chapter 2, he has gone back into heaven to be with his Father to prepare a place for us. A Holy Spirit has come upon them, empowered them, and they've transformed from doubters and spectators to now believers. Now they're standing up publicly to proclaim the gospel, even in front of their enemies and, and at the threat of death. And here's how it describes where they were at this point. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. Now, I want you to think about those words. These were not spectators. These were not people that's like, hey, let's go see what's going on. These were people who were deep in the middle of it. They were engaged. And it tells us some of the things that were descriptive of what their life was like. First of all, they were devoted to Christian teaching. Now, they didn't have the Bible that we have collected, the books and the writings, the epistles. They didn't have it collected in that day, but they had the Old Testament writings. They had the prophecies about Jesus. They had the eyewitness accounts of people who knew Jesus. They had the written accounts and letters later on from the apostles. These they studied and they discussed. They were committed to and devoted to Christian teaching. And, and they engaged, intentionally engaged in that. Secondly, they shared community. They shared in fellowship. The gathering together, they shared meals, they uh, uh, shared communion and prayer. They shared in grief, they shared in joy as people were healed by the apostles. They shared their possessions as people had needs. They would sell their lands and give, it to, give the money to people as they had needs financially. They met daily together. They were deeply a part of the mission and the work. And thirdly, they worked together on the mission of winning the lost. It was a red-hot mission, and there were no spectators. Everyone was a participant, and they turned the world upside down. Now, guys, I want you to think about what the early church did and compare that to our concept of church today. Not quite the same, is it? Really isn't quite the same. We have this idea that church is maybe something we show up if nothing else is going on and for some people on Sunday morning and come and see, check out and see what's going on and it better be good, it better be exciting and interesting and keep our attention and upbeat and funny and, you know, everything else that entertains us. Unfortunately, that's not what God called the church to be. We, we really make a mistake when we, we see it as that. I believe the church of the day is a far cry from God's plan that every member be a priest, 
Every member be a participant. Every member be engaged in the work of the ministry. And in fact, that's been replaced with professional clergy who maybe even we expect to do the work of the ministry. I know people expect us to, while others sit back and watch. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be trained and full-time ministers, but the work is not to be left to a few alone. God has called every one of us to be a part of the team. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people, notice that, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what does Paul say is that Christ has gifted certain people with abilities and with strengths and gifts like evangelism and pastoring and teaching, not to do all the work while others watch, but to equip all of his people for works of service so that they then can go and do ministry. And it has to be, it has to ripple out. There has to be commitment along every level of that, from beginning to end, teaching, communicating, passing the mission forward. And the goals that come from that are unity and knowledge and maturity and becoming more like Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then the whole body of Christ is going to be stronger and it's going to grow with the ultimate goal being that the world will be one to Christ. Now, in our minds, that goal, even in my mind, when I say that the world would be one to Christ, how likely do you think that is? We're not very optimistic about that, are we? In fact, a lot of times we feel like we're doing good just to hold the enemy back, let alone taking ground. And I have to believe the reason is that the whole body is not all in. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the church worldwide. That's the problem, is that we're not all pushing the team. We'd rather be spectators than we would be participants. And I got to be honest, I fall along the same line there. So I'm not criticizing, I'm just stating what should be the obvious to us. But wouldn't it be great if we had the vision and we had the heart and we had the commitment that the world would be one to Christ? And that's only going to happen when every believer sees himself as a priest, as a participant, there are no spectators, everybody's in the game. Everybody's in the game. You know, a few years ago, Kyle Eidelman, who's the uh, minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, wrote a book called Not a Fan. And a lot of you I know probably read that book and uh, maybe even discussed it in a group or something. But the book asks the question, are you a true follower of Jesus or are you just an enthusiastic admirer? Are you a follower, basically, or are you a fan? You know, Jesus called his disciples to do more than just be admirers, right? He called them to leave their jobs, abandon their families, forfeit their wealth, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And the the challenge today is the same. 
but, but we don't view it in the same way, do you? We look at the disciples, those 12, and we think there must be weirdos or something that would do that. But really, God has called us to carry the mission forth, maybe not abandon families, and maybe for many of us not even leave our jobs, but just make the mission number one and move the, mission, move the, the, the work forward. He called them to do that. Today, our challenge is to stop just cheering for Jesus and get in the game, to pursue an intimate, fully engaged, committed relationship with Jesus and everything that we have. Now, I share that book because uh, I thought it was a great book, but there were five key takeaways that I think make us really reflect on where we are in our relationship with Christ. Here, here's the five takeaways. Fans want all the benefits of Jesus without any of the sacrifices. Isn't that true? We cheer our team on like we're on the field. We talk about our team, if you're a big fan, you talk about, our, you talk about your team like you're doing all the work. When maybe the work, all you do is sit in your easy chair and watch, you know? It's not the same, is it? We want the benefit of being winners, but we don't want any of the commitment or the sacrifice. Here's the second takeaway. By faith we're saved, yet faith without works is dead. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't just a matter of belief. It requires movement. Movement. Faith without works is dead. Our mission, moving people on a simple journey toward Jesus. Number three, Jesus doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. He desires us to have an intimate relationship with him. I want to tell you, some of the most difficult people that I've ever talked to about Jesus are people who know the most about him. You can know a lot about him and not know him. You can be a big fan of who Jesus is also and not be committed to him. Fourthly, Christians are not called to be perfect, but they're called to be authentic. We are called to be real. Are you the person that you claim to be? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. Number five, following Jesus is a pursuit that requires everything you have, but it's the best investment you could ever make. It requires all of us. You know, I like what Jackie Robinson, who is one of the great bas uh, baseball uh, players, said. He said, life is not a spectator sport. If you're going to spend your whole life in the grandstand just watching what goes on, in my opinion, you are wasting your life. And I would echo that for the Christian life. That if you are, and have to admit that you're just a spectator, you are wasting your life. Jesus invites us to come to him, to check him out. But there comes a time when we have to step up and get involved. A time that we move from, from spectator to participant. And you know, we need to be released from whatever it is that's keeping us in our seats. Our fears. And I don't know about you, but I was always afraid to get out there on the, the, uh, the floor to make a fool of myself. You know, embarrass myself. And then one time I did, I did, right? But obviously I got back up again. Here I am this morning, right? To release us from our resistance, that part of us, you know, maybe our, our laziness, maybe our distractions, maybe it's our natural tendencies to just sit back and watch while the greatest work and effort in the world is being carried on. But let me ask you, how engaged are you in that? Are, would you say you're a spectator or a participant? Now, what is it that releases us? I believe it's the love of Christ. The Bible says the love of Christ compels us. But when we step out in faith and we trust God to carry us forward, we, we start to do things we didn't think we could do. We had no idea that we could ever do that.
And I want to tell you, I'll just share as a humble um, as possible. I, I struggle with the role that God called me to fill. I love to preach. I don't think I'm the best preacher in the world. But if you had seen me when I was in high school, you would be amazed. I'll just tell you that. Being an introvert and not wanting to be up in front of anybody, and God called me to be blessed with almost 40 years of ministry is a miracle in itself. It's a miracle in itself. I will tell you, with all, with all humility, God can use anybody. I'm telling you, anybody, if he can use me, I'll tell you that. So let me ask you some questions as we kind of wrap up this morning. First of all, have you made a decision for Jesus or have you made a commitment to Jesus? I know there are a lot of people who made a decision for Jesus a long time ago and they would call themselves a Christian. I'm not doubting anyone's faith, but I'm just saying a decision made years ago that doesn't have any meaning now and doesn't have any teeth in it and doesn't have any commitment now, there's not a commitment to Jesus. It's as simple as that. Secondly, do you just know about Jesus or do you really know him? Do you really know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Thirdly, is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? One of many or your one and only? Is he just one of the things that you check off or one of the things that you value in life or is he the one thing in life that's most important? Number four, are you more focused on the outside than on the inside? If someone were to look at your life and they might say, wow, they're a big fan of Jesus. They're a big Christian. Is that who you are or is that what you look like on the outside? Is it real on the inside? And lastly, are you a self-empowered fan or are you a spirit-filled follower? I hope that God wrestles, you, you wrestle with God over these questions. They're meaningful. And I pray that God moves you in some way to step up wherever you are, whatever you're doing. We can all do more, right? And just like Jesus called his disciples and he led them from being spectators to being interested and involved and then becoming, owning the mission, God wants to move us. You know, I think about in the book of Acts that there's a story of a man named Stephen. And the first time we hear about Stephen, uh, he was just a follower of Jesus, but then he became a deacon that was served God. And the next time you hear about Stephen, he was a martyr. He was dying for his faith. And God called him to the next level. I don't think he's calling us to be martyrs just yet, but he's calling us to get off the bench and get in the game. So that's my challenge to you today. I really want to encourage you to think about it. If you have not even taken your first step to follow Jesus, then I want to encourage you to make that decision today. I'm going to be down in front. I'm going to ask Tony to come over here if he would. If you want someone to talk to you about your first step or your next step, a big step, or pray with you or whatever it may be, We'd love to be able to do that. So I'm going to ask, if you would, just to bow with me. Uh, we're going to go to the Lord in a prayer, and then we'll go to a, a time of worship and a time of response. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for your holy word that moves us, God. Thank you that we have the invitation that you invite us to get into the game. God, we, we can see what you're doing, and God, we can, we can be a big fan of what you're doing, but, but we really don't come into where you want us to be until we step up and we step in the game and we participate. So Father, I pray that, that this message would challenge each of us to the next level of our faith because faith is what takes us from one step to the next. 
Lord, I pray that we would move, that we would grow, God, we would be in your will, and we would be a spirit-empowered follower of Jesus. I pray these things in his holy name. Amen.